This is a HeadGum Podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover, and my God, this is the 100th episode of this show. 100. I mean, I know uh, humans have a predilection for round numbers. I don't know why. You know, uh, the fact that this show is a multiple of the number of fingers I have, to me, seems remarkable. Uh, It means we've been doing this show for almost two years. And to those of you who've been listening along with us, I really can't thank you enough. This podcast has been such a joy and a pleasure for me to do, Um, not just because I've been able to talk to some of the greatest investigative journalists, sleep scientists, bug scientists, historians, economists, political economists, political scientists, sociologists, artists, and at least one video game developer out there. It's also because I, I really do feel like we've created something really special here. We've created a community of folks who are interested in learning more about the world around them, who are interested in new ideas, having new ideas penetrate your skull and get into your brain and maybe change the way that you think. Uh, I really enjoyed getting emails from all of you about what you've enjoyed about the show at factually at adamconover.net. If you want to send me one of those, I do love to read them. Uh, You've given me such great suggestions for topics to have on the show that we've brought back again and again. Uh, And... It's a really special thing that you have allowed me into this very intimate space, (laughs) and that space being the space in between your ears. You know, the experience of listening to a podcast so often is to turn your own brain off, turn off your own internal monologue and replace it with somebody else's. So you can not be yourself, but be (laughs) the, you know, another person who's speaking to you instead. Uh, It's a very intimate thing. I've experienced it myself as something that I I love to do with my favorite uh, authors and favorite podcasters and broadcasters. And I really can't say enough how I appreciate that you folks listening to the show would want to do the same with me. So uh, thank you so much for sticking around for 100 episodes. And here's to 100 more. We are going to keep it going. I can't imagine I'm going to want to stop doing this show anytime soon. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to keep it rolling right along. So what are we going to do special for our 100th episode? Well, this is a little bit of an opportunity for me to take stock of what I've been doing over the last couple of years and to talk to someone else whose work I really admire about comedy and about informational comedy and what it means to do it and why we do it and what the fucking purpose of it is. Now, I've always felt that comedy does have purpose. You know, I loved comedy from childhood. I grew up listening to, uh, frankly, this is a little embarrassing. I I grew up listening to 1940s British radio comedy shows. Uh, I I was a big fan of a show called The Goon Show starring Peter Sellers. Uh, Got the tapes out from the library, listened to them over and over again. Check it out if you want to hear some really witty uh, wordplay about what it's like to live under the blackout during the Blitz. Uh, 
it's incredible stuff. Really does hold up. I was, yeah, I was into silly stuff. I love Douglas Adams, love Monty Python, all those sorts of things. But what really formed my comedic sensibility was when I started watching The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. In, and before that, The Daily Show with Craig, Craig Kilborn. Loved that show as well in the, in the late 90s. Oh, my God. Five questions? Who could forget? But when Stewart took over... In the mid-2000s, that's when my notion of what comedy could do really expanded. When The Daily Show did a segment on a topic, it felt like they were really saying something. It felt like they were planting a flag. They were using comedy to expose real-life issues and ideas in a concrete way that somehow felt like it was making a difference in the real world. I mean, they could shame a politician or media figure in a way that felt definitive. The show sliced through propaganda and bullshit in a way that nothing else really seemed to in popular culture. It felt like it really mattered. And so when it came time for me to do my own comedy, I wanted to pick up that torch and advance it a bit. You know, I wanted to share my own view of issues that really mattered and revelatory facts that I had learned and bring them to people in hopes that it would change their minds. And I was really proud to be able to do that. You know, for instance, on an early season of Adam Ruins Everything, we did a big segment about forensic science. And if you don't know, the gist is that forensic science, that thing that you've seen on CSI, the, the thing that, uh, you know, supposed scientists bring into the courtroom every time there's a murder trial or an arson investigation. Well, it's not really science. Lie detectors, for instance, which have always been presented to me as real science, something that actually works. Well, it turns out that they do not work. They are pseudoscience. They are, in a word, bullshit. And people go to prison over this bullshit. When I learned this, I was amazed by it. I was like, this is ridiculous, unjust, and wrong, and very funny in how wrong it is. I want to share it with people and blow the lid off of this. And guess what? We did. People saw that segment and they said, holy shit, I can't believe that. I had no idea. People come up to me today and reference that segment. And I'm very proud of that. I thought, hey... I think we might have done something here. But then uh, I remember a moment like a couple months after that segment aired, I woke up and I had the thought, hold on a second. Even though I did this whole segment, people are still using lie detectors. They're still using them for job interviews. They're still using them in court cases. People are still going to jail over over lie detectors. My segment didn't stop them. So what did it actually do? And, you know, The Daily Show, sure, they went after bullshitters and liars definitively. But the bullshitters and liars, I don't know if you noticed, are still on the air. In fact, uh, even more of them are on the air than were back in Jon Stewart's day. So what exactly is comedy accomplishing? You know, I've had to abandon this sort of naive notion that the comedy was going to change the world. I, I do think it was naive that I ever thought that. And now I do it simply to share these ideas with you, simply to hold up something that I noticed about the world, that I learned about the world, that I found awe-inspiring or shocking or or upsetting or hilarious and show it to you so we can at least have that community together around it and enjoy it together. And maybe, sure, maybe we'll change the way that we think a little bit. Maybe we can make our little contribution to changing the culture into something that is more positive, more rational, more thoughtful, less accommodating of bullshit and sloppy thinking. But that is all I can really expect of it. I think that's enough. I think it is. That's why I'm still doing this podcast here. I hope that's why you're still listening to it. But for me, it's less about trying to change the world with a definitive comedy piece 
and more about using comedy to continue learning, continue growing, and continue sharing with all of you. That's at least the direction I'm trying to move in the work that I do. And I thank you for coming along on the journey with me to the extent that you are. Maybe this is the first episode of this show you've ever listened to. And you're like, why is this guy talking about his journey so much? I have never listened to him before. I don't know who he is. And I don't give a shit about his journey. I just want to hear him interview Sam B. So you know what? Let's just get to it. Let's get to our special 100th episode interview with Sam B. She is, uh, you, you know Sam B. She was a one of the pioneering correspondents on that very same Daily Show that we were talking about. And, of course, now she does an incredible show called Full Frontal on TBS. I'm very proud to say that we're a part of the same industry and that we're maybe even doing the same lane in terms of what we're doing in comedy. And she has a new podcast out that I hope you'll check out called Full Release that is going to be coming out very, very soon. She talks about that on the show. So we get into it in this interview. We talk about comedy, what it does, what it doesn't do. Uh, We talk about her kids. We talk about my traumatic experiences at driver's ed in high school. It runs the gamut. I really hope you enjoy this interview. Please welcome Samantha B. Sam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We've talked before, but not at length. We've talked We've talked a little bit. We saw each other backstage for like 10 seconds at an upfronts once yes. in the weirdest, one of the worst, one <laughs> of the worst industry events and circumstances you ever have to be in. It's like not, 7 yeah, it's not like a, a place where robust, natural conversation can really coexist. <laughs> yeah. You were like, you were like, uh, I like your show. I was like, I like your show. And then you were like, I got to go talk to an executive and pretend like I can focus my eyes at I, seven in the morning. <laughs> I've been in makeup since four o'clock in the morning to look <laughs> normal here. <laughs> and all of the life's essence is draining out of my body. <laughs> well, you've been, you've been doing your wonderful show. For Thank like you. six years now, something like that. Am I right around there? Yeah. And you have a new podcast that yeah, you're doing. Yeah, season six. And then we did the podcast. We've been doing the podcast, but now we're like really doing it. I don't know how many episodes we did, but now we're like doing it, doing it and doing like 45 episodes, like a real actual run. And I love it. I, I really love it. It's really fun. Well, you know, we're doing a podcast right now. This is a podcast. I mean, this is all in the pandemic that basically my entire creative output in life right. became doing oh, podcasts. God. So what is going on? Okay. So where are you? Is it okay for me to ask you where you're <laughs> yeah, at? No, no, I like, want you. No, please ask me. Okay. This is I, the, this is the hundredth episode. So it, it should be somewhat about me. So you're creatively, you're, you're just getting your EIS out creatively by doing a podcast, but then mm-hmm. what, what do you, you must have a bunch of, you have a side, a bunch of side projects. Have you? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for asking me about my projects. This is such I a have good. I do. Industry question mm-hmm. uh, and a f- good friend question as well. Uh, I uh, so yes, we we uh, finished doing Adam Ruins Everything, mm-hmm. and then we started doing a new show uh, with Netflix called The G Word about the U.S. government, okay. and then right. the whole thing was delayed. Uh, yes, thank you, thank you. The whole thing was delayed for a year. Uh, we we were we like mm. started the writers' room a week before oh, the pandemic God. started, oh, and God. then we wrote the whole show during the pandemic, and okay. then we had to put the whole thing on ice. Okay, and now we're coming back mm-hmm. we are gonna hopefully be shooting very soon okay. de-icing the scripts okay. updating them all for our new post-pandemic world sure uh and so hopefully that'll come out in 2022 okay great. and working on some new ideas too what what has your pandemic life been like my pandemic life has been very consistently doing the show so we only yeah. went down we went dark for the first show after everyone like that terrible week in 
a year ago, March, where everybody mm-hmm. just went, what the shit? What's happening? <laughs> and I just like rumors were flying that they were like, we're, they're closing the bridges and tunnels. Like there was just so much shit happening. It's New like York. a zombie movie. They're closing the bridges yeah, and tunnels like, to New York. No one could get into Manhattan. It's escape from New York. So, <laughs> and we, and our, the studio had gotten shut down like the day, mm-hmm. whatever it was, March 11th, I think uh, we were filming in the studio and they were like, it's so funny the things that no one, you know, when you, when you host a show, everyone's like, don't upset the host right now. And I don't know why, because actually I'm very, well, maybe I'm not, but I think of myself as very resilient and it's information I mm-hmm. completely could have handled. But they were like, the entire building shutting down around our shoulders. Don't tell her because she won't be able to, you know, like perform or whatever, <laughs> which I totally would have been fine. It's fine. So I didn't really find out until after we had finished, like the second we finished taping, they were like, Get out. The building's shut. We're the last people in the building. Get the wow. fuck out. And our office had closed down. Like, meantime, while we were filming, our office closed down. Our Everything closed. They were like, get out. Get your shit and go. We don't know when we're opening again. And wow. so uh, if we went down one episode. So we did not have a, a show the following week because we were like, well... <laughs> Where does one do that? And then the week after, we started doing it in the backyard. So I've been doing shows. I did a lot of shows in the backyard for yeah. many, many months. And then we moved into a smaller, different studio uh, in the fall. And in, in the fall, I guess, uh, which we completely govern. So our prior studio, we shared it with a lot of other shows. And I was like, we cannot do that anymore because we will never be yeah. up. Um so we actually have a smaller space now that's complete. That is only us, which is great. Yeah. Cause we control and it, everything. And, and it looks like, it looks like a show. Yeah. Yeah. It looks the only thing it's the missing is the of. audience. It's missing the audience, but it looks, yeah. it looks like our old set because we actually took a lot of, we actually used yeah. a, a cool two thirds of our previous set. So it's, it's essentially the same thing. Just no people and remote cameras. Has your notion of what you're doing on the show, like what the what the purpose is of the show, changed at all because of the pandemic or no. or anything anything no. like that? No, no, it really hasn't. It's it's been very consistent. I mean, like we're a, you know a topical comedy show, and the topic was the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know more so than ever before. The, the global conversation was the pandemic. So we really had our finger on the pulse and you could feel <laughs> it like we were living it in the sense of just not even being inside a building yeah, in the backyard where the sun was shining. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I was struck by, you know, when I started doing Adam ruins everything mm-hmm. and you've been, you've been at this, you know, longer than longer than I have. So maybe this is going to sound like newbie words to you. But um, when I started Adam ruins everything, mm-hmm. I was like very intoxicated by, uh, I don't know if the power of it is the right word, but I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, there are idea. There are ideas that I can say and they'll be broadcast out and I'll have a whole mm-hmm. network behind me and I'll be, you know, changing the world in some little way. Like I did feel like there was an importance to it. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the things that the pandemic changed for me was it it made me feel like what I was doing was was not more trivial but you know I was like oh my god there's so much suffering (laughs) right now oh (laughs) interesting Uh uh-huh 
I do. I do know what you mean. Although I've never, I confess that I've never thought that what we're doing was important. <laughs> That's my problem. That's that, uh, this is what this is what everybody says when I say this, and they're like, "Yeah, but what you're doing is not important at all." <laughs> I definitely. Um, so that that part didn't that part didn't change for me. But um, the 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 scale the scale of the crisis and the magnitude of the suffering is it's really unimaginable. I felt like. And I do, I actually just tend to think of the show in this way. I actually tend to take a very small kind of, I I see it in very small terms where I go, okay, everybody is, now I'm I'm an employer of all these people Mm -hmm. and I'm responsible for these people. So how can I keep them employed? Because, you know, I can say from personal experience that being unemployed or being on the precipice of being unemployed is just one of the scariest things for me. It scares me so much um, to my core. It's like very defining actually. And Mm. so I, I felt like my staff must be feeling that way too. And so me and my husband, we've just, and, and, and all the producers of the show, we just put our minds to making the show go back on the air as fast as possible so that we could feel like people had one thing like yeah. I could only really control or, you know, I could only really help the people who are in my immediate work circle in those moments. And so I was like, I'll just keep them, I'll keep us all working and then we'll have something to do and we'll have a place to put all of this anxiety, yeah. or whatever. Like if everybody's got eight hours of shit to do every day, they'll be less worried. Yeah. <laughs> and they can no, make I- their rent, like can people can pay their bills. So I I experienced that too. I mean, we were extremely fortunate. We were in this position where like if our show had gotten up and running like two or three weeks later, we just Uh wouldn't have had a writer's room. You know, when you're putting a, you're putting a show together and you're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we need to hire this writer and we need a head writer and we need this, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to get this producer in there and, and Oh, can they all start on Monday? Oh God, thank God. All their deals got done. Yes, we can start. Great. And then we did that. And then the next week we all went home. And if we hadn't, like done that if we had just been delayed by two weeks. Yeah. You know, everyone would have said the network would have said, well, well, you guys haven't started yet. So just don't. <laughs> well, and- that is. Yeah. You really do feel that working in this in, in TV yeah. that if you're not like you're you're always proving that you have a, that you should exist. So you're yeah. even when you're like, you know, I, I was like up to the last minute of, of Full Frontal ever airing for the first time. I feel like I was still sort of selling it. Like, mm-hmm. you're still like, I swear to God, it's going to be okay. And like, the network's like behind you, but they're also like, okay, well, now yeah. you have to show, don't tell. <laughs> and so it's it's super easy for people to take you off the schedule if, yep. if everything isn't like completely Yep. Just all those little bows kind of yep. crossed. So that's very but, lucky. That's great. And I felt so lucky to your point to be to be working because as mm-hmm. everything was sort of falling, falling down, I was like, all right, at least we here on this Zoom call have a job right. to do. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go do this and I'm going to go to that and I'm going to do this. And that was very stressful experience. But, uh, you know, we're working in that way, working under tight script deadlines while in my own house and not yeah. being able to leave and all these things. Sure. But then after we wrapped on that, then I was like, well, now what do I do now? I have all this free time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's that's the, the free time is the killer. Like it, everybody yeah. was totally fine. But then you would see that when when we go away for a break, 
you you'll just everybody comes back like super shaky. You're like, uh, I think I'm mad about something. Like what what's happening? Yeah. How do I how do I do this again? Or you would just that feeling of like having the Sunday scaries coming back after break. You're like, uh, what's gonna happen on Monday? And really, it's all fine. <laughs> but there's a lot there's panic in the world and there's so much yeah it's anxiety and everybody's like shut inside their places etc is that the is that the core of like workaholism is that it distracts you from probably the sunday scaries it probably. distracts you from from all those anxieties like well i have to focus on this one thing yes 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 Yes, I think so. I think <laughs> I relate to that. <laughs> I, I was laying in my bed last night because I'm thinking about this big episode that we're doing, and I, I was like, I've got to don't, I've got to give a lot of thought to this. I have to work it out in my brain. Like, what do I want this to really, really say? Like, what do I really want to say here? And um, mm-hmm. so I was just laying in bed last night, staring at my lamp, like just staring at it in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah. usually I'm so tired at the end of the day. I don't have a chance to stare at my lamp. But last night I spent a lot of time staring at my lamp. So <laughs> it's always good to have a destination <laughs> for the day. I'm glad to know that you also have that, those late nights though. Cause I do that mm. too. when I'm, when I'm working on the, where I'm going like, wait, I think I'm saying the thing I want to say, but is it really, am I saying it hard right. enough? Is there some is there some deeper point to make that's better than the one that I am making? Sure. Is there like, is the thought inside my head actually being communicated? And it's right. like, you can never, it's like asymptotic. You can never quite make it there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I often feel like that the first moment is the moment that is the hardest. It's like, Oh, what am I saying? Like right out the gate. Okay. All right. That's fine. That's mm-hmm. that's the I don't know, just setting the table. I'm just working hard on kind of setting the table. And it's just a lot of thinking. And then it's a lot of I also am just a super early riser. So mm. more more so than a late nighter. I, I'm like a get up at five person. Mm. And then I'm like, boing, I'm awake. Hello. And I start doing making lists and drinking coffee. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm getting there. I think I'm getting early. I feel like as I, I used to be, I used to be like a sleep 4am to noon person. And now oh, I feel, I feel like now I feel that I get up early. It's cause it, maybe you're getting, for me, it's cause I'm getting, I'm old. And I think that happens to old people where they just start getting up at 3am and they're like breakfast at five, lunch at 10, dinner at three, yeah. bedtime at eight thirty. Like <laughs> this is true. And, and that is why, but I didn't want to put it that way. Cause I didn't want to accuse you of being old. I felt and you I'm- being sensitive, but it's <laughs> actually okay. I love it. I love the golden girls and I like old people and I love myself. Yeah. So, um, this is just Me how too. it is. I love it. It's totally fine. Get up. My granddad used to like, he was old. He was like 96 when he died and he would get up at like three and have a Sanka and a single strip of bacon and like half an egg, like not even the full egg. And he'd be like, so set up, <laughs> so set up for the day. <laughs> I know to, to eat so little and need so little sleep and, oh, yeah. and just, no, oh, yeah. you, you just like your, your needs <laughs> center down on a little pinprick. You can be happy with so little. hundred percent. And your skin is so thin that you're just constantly <laughs> bleeding from something. You just like rub up against <laughs> 
<laughs> rub up against a sausage and you're bleeding and you're like, what happened? He's just like, I rubbed, I hit a sausage the wrong way and now I need bandages. <laughs> I've started experiencing the thing. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm only in my late thirties, but I mm-hmm. started experiencing the thing where I'm like, that, that didn't heal. Like it's oh, been months yeah. and like that little burn mark is still there. Like that would happen to my grandma. It really, we don't have to talk on and on about age, but it gets so much worse. Like I'm 51 and now it's all, the problem is the verticals actually heal even worse. Like if you, oh. if you, if you scratch yourself on the vertical plane, like your shin, it just oh. never heals. Like it just like, it will be, you're just broken forever. I, oh God. I kicked myself. I like, donkey kicked myself getting off a bike with a biking shoe like with a cleat in the leg my entire leg exploded and it's still it's like green and it happened three weeks ago i keep looking at it i'm like when does this maybe it's just permanent i don't know jesus big tattoo (laughs) i have this like big scar on my hand it's not that big but i can i can see it the scar on my hand mm-hmm. and I got it when I was on a plane mm-hmm. and I do this a lot, but especially when I'm on a plane, I'll just, you know, I have little like little ticks, you okay. know, like little ADD stimming kind of just like shaking my hands and stuff. Yeah. Um, snapping my fingers. And I was doing that and my fingernail caught me on my hand and oh. I gouged my own hand with mm-hmm. my own fingernail, mm-hmm. which I'd probably been nibbling. So it was a little ragged. Yeah. And it made this gouge. And I still have a scar and I'm like the most prominent scar on my body is where I scratch myself with my own fingernail on a plane because I was just that yeah. energy. Yeah. It yeah. sucks. Well, <laughs> it, I don't want to. It doesn't. Uh, it's not going to get better. It's not going to improve. <laughs> tell me about the tell me about the new podcast. What What are you doing on it? I'm doing what you're doing. I'm having great, super fun conversations with people. It's um. It's called full release. You can, I think we're launching. I don't know. Some They're going to literally kill me for not knowing the exact date of our <laughs> launch. So I'm going to look it up on my phone, but I, it's like May 4th or something like that. Oh we're yeah, not going to edit this. I did. Great. Yeah. May 4th. Back on May 4th. It's, I'm like talking to the funnest people and talking to the funnest people and having longer conversations. Cause you know, when you make your own show, you, the segments are so small and you're trying to like yeah. cram everything into these small, tiny mm-hmm. sound bites with people mm-hmm. trying to get, trying to just like wring the most content out of the shortest possible sentence. Yeah. And so it's actually fun to just kind of gab. Like I love to interview people. I love it. It took yeah. a lot of years for me to love it. And I do, I truly do. So it's really fun actually for me. What what kind of people are you talking to? I'm talking to Stephen Colbert. I'm going to be talking Mm -hmm. to Elizabeth Warren. I talked to Anna Mm. Ferris. I I got like a whole bunch of big lineup of great people. I'm excited. I got a lot of questions for them. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll see how it goes. They better be honest with me. I see that you you do camera on for the interview. I do do camera on for the interview. You don't do, do that. Well, I prefer not to. I don't care. Like mm. I don't, in this context, I don't care. But I like. I love to have it off. I thought that was the whole point of podcasts, but no one agrees with me anymore. And now you can see like people just talking into microphones on YouTube. It's fine. I'm. I like with to get program. a little. 
I think the body language helps okay. you cut in a little bit. You can say, oh, I, Sam's got something to say. Oh. I, I see I see her making see. a physical movement before the sound comes out. I see, I see. And I do find that a little helpful, Doesn't especially th- when you're over Zoom and there's a little lag often. I guess that's true. Do you don't find the eye line to be a distraction? Like the fact mm. that like to really look into your eyes, I'm not looking at you at all. Yeah. So now I'm looking at you, but I'm I can't see what you're doing. <laughs> I'm doing the same thing. I'm looking at it's the camera right now. We're both bizarre. looking at our cameras. We're looking at our yeah. cameras, and so yeah. it would if you were watching it, it would seem that we were just gazing into each other's eyes. But I actually can only see. <laughs> it's like I'm talking to a computer. Yeah. My little blinking. It, no, it is. Green. It is difficult. It is difficult. Mm-hmm. I I have to advise you. I don't know if you do this. To uh, the most important tip is in Zoom, you can turn off the self view so you don't look at your own face. Sometimes uh, I like to look at my own face <laughs> in the zooms. Sometimes it comforts me. <laughs> you, you don't think it? You don't think it? Ma- I think it makes me crazy when I'm. I'm oh. like I want to be communicating with the other person, and instead I'm just like adjusting my adjusting oh. myself. Like it's not okay. how we should be when we're talking to others. Is looking at ourselves. Well, if it's a big, if it's actually if I'm, if I'm in a zoom with a lot of people I don't know, I prefer to look at myself. Yes, than a I gallery agree. of people who are not making Mm -hmm. you know who are not making an effort to have a more yeah a a more um active zoom face you know because just like (laughs) they just like retreat into their like staring at the computer face which doesn't feel like you're even though you're actively listening it's not an active listening face so i prefer to look at my own face that's trying far too hard (laughs) (laughs) i'm just really spinning wheels what are your uh, what are your interview methods? Like, how do you methods. try to m- make a good interview? Um, that's a great question. I I actually just lead with real curiosity. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't really I don't really talk to people who I am completely incurious about. Yeah, I pass on those kind of like yeah. I don't. I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I think I just it's in the selection of the person. Yeah, um, it's in the research. And then it's it, I, I like to follow my own. I like to follow my own interest. You know, yeah. I worked for a long time at The Daily Show and I interviewed. I really honed those interviewing chops there by talking mm. to a lot of people who hated me. Yeah, a lot. A you did lot. those. You did those daily show. You did those correspondent sure. pieces, yeah. which that's a very specific kind of interview that I've never felt I would be able to do. Hundreds. I've I always mean, been amazed by that. Hundreds of those really antagonistic interviews. I yeah. would say, and so I don't have to do that. Any, I chose <laughs> to not do that. Wouldn't it be incredible <laughs> if forward. you chose to do more of that? More of that, please. <laughs> Please. Um, and I just, there's just, they're very funny, but so difficult. Yeah. I mean, I'm good at the, I'm good at it. I'm good at getting people to speak their truth and like make them mm-hmm. feel like they're in a place where they should just say the thing that they feel and that they've been actively working toward mm-hmm. say it out loud. And they're always really mad because <laughs> they're like, but I said this thing out loud and people didn't like it. And that's how I truly feel. And those are the laws I'm trying to pass. And then people were mad at me. You're awful. You're a liar. Like you're no, 
just gave you a venue <laughs> for you to be real. Um, but it is, it's, it's crushing. It's actually very hard to spend loads of time with people who you really hate. And so I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't choose mm-hmm. that for myself. I'm not a journalist. They can do that part. Yeah. Leave that to them. I, I relate to the leading with curiosity thing. That's what I try mm-hmm. to do myself. And it'll always, it'll always steer you well in an interview. Even if you don't, even if you're talking to someone who you're completely unprepared for, yes, uh, which I don't, I don't do. I am always prepared. But mm-hmm. if I were thrust into a situation sure. where I was not, if you literally just uh, ask, I don't know, ask what you're interested in. Yes. Uh, I remember I used to uh, do like, I almost thought of it as like a party trick to like assuage my own social anxiety mm-hmm. at parties in my mm. 20s. I would talk to other people and I would talk to other anxious, nervous people uh-huh. and I would like find something interesting to talk with them about, even if we didn't know each other. Like I remember mm. talking to a woman at a party. I was like, what do you do? And she was like, ah, you don't want to talk about it. I work at the post office. And mm. I was like, no, I have so many questions about the post office. Right. And I started asking her questions about stamps. And we got to some interesting point about like, you know, how the people at the post office feel about stamps. I forget what it was, but it yeah. was like, you know, able to find this, you know, what am I, what in that you sure. are, what of what you are giving me am I curious about? And let's find that. Um, yeah. It can like never steer you wrong. It never steers you wrong. I usually hide in bathrooms at parties and I'm actually really happy that those, <laughs> I'm not happy for the too. pandemic, not happy that it happened. Was very, I'm very pleased to be able to give up parties. So I really hate them. <laughs> They should never happen. <laughs> My kids have never had a birthday party. <laughs> Wait, I have three really? children and I have never had a birthday party for them because I'm like, and I've offered, I'm like, do you want me to have a birthday party for you? And they're like, please don't. And I'm like, this is how I know that you're my child. I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. And other parents are like, so many birthday parties, right? Holy, my weekends are like so bogged down. I'm like, oh, really? I say no to every party. And we just go, sorry, we're out of town. And then we just don't go. None of my kids want to. They fucking hate parties. Your kids have the personalities of people in their 30s. That's wonderful. Oh, it's a relief. It's a relief. (laughs) Get me out of here. Oh, get me out of here. I'm like, do you want to play team sports? They're like, please don't make us. I'm like, sweet. Mm. Because I don't want to go. I don't want to know anything about basketball. Don't make me learn. (laughs) Like, let me just let me just stay home and read a book of essays, mom. I want (laughs) to read this book of Fran Lebowitz or whatever. Not to we don't have to talk about my children anymore. But this is a funny story about my son who's like his 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 friends were like. Pleasure, you should come and play baseball. Like we all do like baseball. They did these, there's like an under, it's a basement baseball zone with like indoor baseball diamonds and whatever, whatever. And he was like, can I, can I do indoor baseball in the basement of this place? And I was like, okay, we can try. We'll see if you like it. And so I signed him up for it. (laughs) He came home every time from this, and he was like eight or nine or whatever. He came home every day from this once a week baseball thing. And he was like, I don't, I don't enjoy this. He was like, the coach (laughs) was screaming at me. I I hate it. And I was like, okay, I think you should stick it out. Like, I think you should just do one full semester of baseball or whatever. Just like 
go to the end and see if you really hate it. And he was like, please, can you come? And you can you tell the coach to stop screaming in my face? And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to come. I think you're making this up. I'm going to come. I'm just going to observe I'm here as an observer. So I came and I was really supportive. And then I realized <laughs> he just didn't. He'd been going for months, but no one had explained the game of baseball to him in his entire <laughs> life. So I, like, whereas I thought they would teach him the rules of baseball, it's just like everybody there just came with this assumed knowledge of like what you're supposed to fucking do when you hit this fucking ball. And so he would like hit the ball and then just stand there and be like, what? And the coach was like, run so the coach was <laughs> screaming at him and he didn't know even which direction to run in or what he was he was like i'm lost i'm fucking lost <laughs> and so i let him quit i was like well here's the rules you're supposed to like run from here to here to here and he was like oh he was like well okay no wonder jelly bean was screaming at me like for four months <laughs> and so we let him quit <laughs> you don't have to do this. He was like, "Thank you, I hate it." It's uh, that's so that's a Thank really you. funny story. So, <laughs> Jelly Bean is so mean to me. The coach's name was Jelly Bean. Yes, and he was a lovely man, and he wasn't really screaming at my son because he was a mean man. He's a great coach. He just was like, "Why won't this kid do what he's supposed to do?" And the kid was like, "What am I supposed to do? Why is everyone looking at me right now?" <laughs> anyway this this brings me back to a place of my own this happened when i learned to drive oh this exact thing happened what? to me i was in high school and i i there was you know driver's ed after school okay. and i joined the driver's ed class and then we're in this you know uh we we, we section off into groups you know mm -hmm. me me and three other boys and the and the driving instructor mm -hmm. and we get in the driving instructor car and i realized that for some reason all the other boys like know how to drive already oh. like like the, they're all cracking jokes this is long aisle they're like oh yeah they, 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 oh, oh, oh. Sure. Like, talking about the yankees or whatever and yeah. then it's like okay adam it's your turn and then i'm like okay what do I do? And the, right. and the teacher was like, oh, you don't, you, oh, you don't know. You don't know how to drive. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that's the gas pedal. And he was like really unprepared to teach me. Right. And, and he was like, what, 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 he, what are you doing? You came to driver's ed and you don't know how to drive. What is this? But I'm and, a driver's ed. You could teach me how to drive. Do you tell yeah. me what the pedals are? That's yeah. your job. I think the reality is that most people's parents taught them how to drive. And mine did not. My family had a total mm. family failure on learning to drive. I hated driving. My sister hated driving. My parents okay. hated teaching us. And they were like, okay, just go to driver's ed. And everyone else had been like, you know, illegally driving on the side with mom and dad since they were like 13 or whatever. Right. Yeah. There's um, like a whole contingent of families who are like, my kid's driving, like with your kid on your lap. And the kid has is like holding the wheel. But parents should never teach their children to drive. Like never, never, never. Never. My mom tried to teach me and it was such a f abject failure, like horrific, <laughs> Why horrific, is that? because she just kept <laughs> she, it was she had a Ford Bronco and we were <laughs> and I was just like on a country road somewhere because she lived out in the country. And, and, and so she just like on a straight country road going like 20 miles an hour, she was like, I feel just the center of balance, the center of gravity of this car is really different from other vehicles. And I just want to let you know that you could flip this car at any second. You will flip this Bronco into a ditch and we will be consumed in a 
a fireball and killed. <laughs> so be, just be very careful because there's a ditch running along the road and you're tipping the car. Like it was, she just yeah. kept feeling like the earth was moving, shifting to the left. So I yeah. also driver's ed, but I did understand what a gas pedal was. But it's not, it's not, it's, this is not assumed. This is not assumed knowledge. Someone has to teach you that. This is, I, this is how I felt as a kid all the time. Same thing with sports. You show up, everybody else has some sure. basic background in it. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to be here. This is tiring. Uh, it's already, I'm already tired. You're, you, let me just say, we don't have to talk about your kids anymore, but you're clearly a great mom. This is a great attitude to, to take towards your kids. Oh, That's what I think. <laughs> That's what, just based on, just based on my own experience of being forced to like go to basketball camp one oh, summer God. and having to do it and just be, I don't want to be here. Why why am I being made to do this? The, the 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 counselors, the coaches, whatever, were like, sure. why is this kid here? He just wants to read his magazine about Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Why are any of us having to go through this charade? And so the fact that you'd cut through the bullshit charade. and say, you know what? Don't just don't do it. Just, That's very nice. Let's all find what we like in life and do the thing <laughs> that we like. It takes a little while. You're not going to find it when you're six. Some people yeah. do. And that's awesome. That's so great. But I don't know. I didn't I don't even think I I didn't even learn how to ride a bike until I was 18. Mm-hmm. And then once I did it, because no one ever taught me. And then I taught myself at like six o'clock in the morning in a parking lot. I was like, this is fucked. I got to learn. This is so dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> why do I not know how to do this thing that everybody around me knows how to, how to teach myself? So I did, you know, these things like they don't, they don't come yeah. naturally. It's not all intuitive. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Sam B. As a Factually listener, you're probably aware of my unwavering commitment to online privacy. Well, Delete Me has been an indispensable tool for me for many years, long before they even started advertising on this show. I've been using their wonderful service. In today's digital landscape, you know, it's alarmingly easy for data brokers to traffic your personal information online. In fact, I would almost guarantee that your personal information is on multiple data broker sites on the internet right now. It's not even the dark web, it's the regular web. These data brokers may be peddling and exchanging your name, phone number, and home address all without your knowledge. And trying to locate and remove all this data yourself can feel like an impossible task because there can be dozens of these sites. But that is what Delete Me does for you. Delete Me's team of experts scours the depths and the breadth of the internet to locate and remove your personal data. Within just seven days, you'll receive a comprehensive report detailing their findings and what they have removed. It can be hard to believe. But approximately 41% of Americans find themselves vulnerable to various forms of online harassment. And this means doxing, scams, and even identity theft, all of which pose significant threats to your financial security and could potentially derail career opportunities. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you want to safeguard yourself like that and live with a peace of mind, that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com slash Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com slash Adam. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. 
The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, we're back with Sam B. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do want to ask you, because you said earlier, you were like, I don't I don't think what we do is important. Sure. Um, and I want to push you on that a little bit because sure. I, I understand that. And I think it's important to, to have humility and, and, you know, have a sense of your your lack of importance in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't feel it's important, then why do you do it? Like, what is the, what is the motivation to do specifically the kind of comedy that you, that you do do, you know, cause um, like, you're not just, you're not doing just uh Hey, let's do a nice workplace comedy and we'll laugh or, you know, no, you're not making Ted Lasso. Wonderful show, Ted Lasso. Wonderful. Um, but you're, you're doing something that's about, that's about the world. Um, I think that it's not, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's like, I, I don't think of it as weighty or important. I don't know why I just don't. I really just don't. But I do think that it's interesting. I do think it's really mm-hmm. interesting. And it's what I like. It's really what I like to consume. I loved The Daily Show before I got that job. So that kind of fusion mm-hmm. of comedy and and information is my super sweet spot. And I think that I do it because I just, I like it. I like to, it's, it's just the sweet spot for me, that fusion of comedy and information. It's the two things I like best in, you know, in all of the arts and sciences is like news and great (laughs) journalism and comedy. So I don't know that I don't know that I do it. Be, I don't do it because I feel like it's my important contribution. I do it because I almost don't know how to do anything else. And I, <laughs> yeah. and someone is willing to put me on TV to do that. But it's, you know, it's a way to get health insurance. It's a great way to get health insurance. And, and I really do. I really do love it. I like really love what we do. And listen, we yeah. try, we're trying, we try hard. We try to, highlight things that we think need to be highlighted. Do I, are we changing the world? I don't think so, but I, I, I do try in as many ways as possible to put attention on things that I think need attention or make, I'm trying to like make, I guess I'm trying to make TV a little better than it was when I started. Like we put a great system of, of family leave. It's one of our signature kind of like workplace things. Cause I was oh, like, cool. oh, at, we should, at your workplace. Yeah. Cause we should, you know, we just ended up having an employee who got pregnant. And then I was like, well, we, I guess we better look at our parental leave policy and figure that shit out and make yeah. it better. And then challenge other shows to do the same thing. Like I love to do stuff like that because I feel like that just sort of makes people's lives even if it only makes two people their life better it makes yeah. their life so much better and it's something they'll always think back on and then try to maybe pay it forward when they have hiring power as well so yeah these little there's like little baby steps i guess little baby steps because why yeah. not i mean why wouldn't you if you had the platform why wouldn't you yeah i i relate to the thing about like I just love information and I love comedy mm-hmm. and I love sharing things I've learned with people. Uh-huh. And that was like the thing when I was getting started in comedy that like actually worked for me. I was like, okay, I'll try to tell a joke. 
Okay, mm-hmm. that went pretty well. People laughed, but like, uh, you know, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. And then when I started being like, oh, here's a crazy thing I learned right. um, on stage, people started responding to it and I liked doing it more. And I was like, oh, this is this feels like a, a deeper, realer connection. Um, well, it's a piece of it's actually a really great kind of living example of because I'm sure that this I'm sure that you get that asked this all the time but people are always asking me like what do you like what do you recommend to like a fledgling comedy writer or someone who's in college right now and they want to make their name in comedy or in the performing arts or in writing or whatever so you know some version of that and I'm always like you have to I mean the best thing for you to do is just to write for yourself constantly like be figuring out what it is that you really like. Like if you strip everything to the bare bones, what are the things you really like? And once you, and it's a gift, once you figure those things out, because whether you get paid for this thing or not, you'll always be doing something that you love. And it can, like, it can repay you in many, it's it's not necessarily the career you think you're going to have or that you wish you're going to have or whatever. It can take you on a path. But if the nut of what you're doing is something that you really love yourself and you really, really yeah. do, you'll, you really will always kind of enjoy your work. You know, there's obviously peaks and valleys, but you'll enjoy the, the nut of it. Yeah. It's very important. Makes that you is- a happy person. That's really wonderful advice. I never give that exactly. That's that's a really wonderful advice to take to heart. Well, you'll have a fulfilling career, even if yeah. it's not necessarily always exactly what you want or 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 whatever. It's fulfilling to you because it's like I would be doing comedy now, even if I wasn't doing professional comedy. I would still be doing yeah. sketch comedy. I would still be performing. This I know. Yeah. So I'd be doing it whether I was getting paid or not. I, it would be, yeah. you know, my wigs would be cheaper. <laughs> but I'd still be doing it. And that tells me everything, really. Yeah, you'd be doing, you'd be doing a weekend slot at, at an improv theater. Uh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> like that. I'd still have like a big Rubbermaid tote full of props in yeah. my car. Yeah. And maybe you'd be a little bit frustrated, but you'd still be doing, you'd yeah. still be doing the work. Like that's what, For that's sure. what I tell people. I'm like, just, just start if you want to do comedy or I was talking to my cousin who wants to be a video game developer. And I was uh-huh. like, great, just start doing that. Like make a video game, you know, yes. and, and show it to other people, then make another one and don't focus so much on how do I get the job where, but mm-hmm. just like do the, do the work first. Cause that is your goal. That's the thing you want to do. Yes. And so Start doing it, you know, and then you'll Start improve and then you'll go up. Uh, exactly. It's funny because I was a I, I was a viewer of The Daily Show while you were mm-hmm. uh, on The Daily Show. And it was, you know, mm-hmm. so much of my comedic sensibility was formed by that show. Um, mm-hmm. And it was also formed by the media environment around the show uh, because I was mm-hmm. a lover of comedy since I was a kid. But in those yeah. years, there started to be a critical like reevaluation of comedy with like people in the media going, Oh, comedy, comedy is really important. Comedy can, you know, take down dictators. Comedy sure. can expose satire, da 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 da. Mm-hmm. All that kind of thing. A lot of that was a lot of that was centered around the the Daily Show and around mm-hmm. the, you know, the the show that you do now that sort of came out of that culture. Um and, you know, I, I, I think I internalized a lot of that. I was watching it going like, oh, yeah, this kind of comedy is sort of the highest, you know, this is the top of the mountaintop, right? Because you can actually move the needle of culture a little right. bit with it. Um, 
And now where I'm standing, I'm like, maybe, maybe I was uh, a little oversold on that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we all were. Uh, I'm curious. How you were, about I think it a lot of people were making it at the time. A hundred percent. Well, uh, making it, we, I, I mean, we never bought, I never bought into that narrative. I never, I always knew that what we were doing, well, sorry. I mean, it's, it's, I, I keep coming back to this phrase that what we're doing was not important, but we weren't really changing people's minds yeah. at the daily show. We really were not. And I, and John knows that and he speaks openly about it. Just nobody ever believed that he believed that he wasn't changing mm-hmm. the world, but he never seemed to, he never, he never wavered from that perspective that what we were doing was kind of like really just catharsis for the people who are watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has always been true. And I, when we were in it, like working in it, we weren't like, we're really going to change people's minds with this one. This is the one. <laughs> Not at all. We knew. I knew. I knew we weren't. It was still, still worth, still great and awesome and worth doing. And catharsis is valuable. And 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 like sharing a moment with people who feel the way that you do or helping shed some light on something that people don't really know about but they'd love to learn about is a great feeling and that is a worthy goal unto itself changing the world like i'm not well frontal is not out there changing the world like we are yeah. not out well that's not 100% true actually i do think like our health policy is really good that could be inspiring <laughs> to other people perhaps but um you know generally speaking i actually think that if you sit around going what i what i do is so important then you are like an impossible <laughs> douche and yeah. you should not you can't that is to me very incompatible with comedy of any sort and it sort of i really don't know I don't know what it would be like to wake up in the morning and go, oh my God, look at me. <laughs> oh, what I do, the world cannot move without my words. Like, I don't. I'm there not, are definitely people who wake up that way. Oh, uh, definitely. But like. I'm not like, let me chime in here. Oh, uh, a celebrity died. Let me just go like, R.I.P. you. Remember when we <laughs> met on the set of the thing? Oh, never forget. Like, uh, but you know, uh, I don't know. Like I did grow up in Canada. <laughs> so maybe that's, that's part of the problem right there. There's like, super, I believe in myself. Listen, I believe in myself. I really do. I love myself. I love what I do, but I definitely, uh, again, not to, I know this is not a podcast about my children, but if you have those people in your life, they will disabuse you of any sense that you are an important person to anyone yeah. other than them. They're just like, uh, what you do is bad. You're not funny. Did you do my pants? Like, did you put the button back on my pants? Because I have, I'm going for a walk with my friends. Like, and it's great. It's, it's very, it's did very you do healthy. My pants? Did you do my pants? Did you finish? Did you do the laundry? Like doing what to them? Okay, the laundry. Doing like, did you fix the? I don't know. Like, I, are you pa- are you are patching you, them? Are you patching my like pants? Charlie Bucket's mom? <laughs> yeah, but like their expectations. <laughs> I mean, they were like, 
they so didn't want to do the dishes last night. And I was making them do the dishes and they were like, we have homework. We have homework. We have homework. <laughs> and I was like, I fucking also worked. And my work is more important than your work because it's why you had food. And so you can yeah. do the dishes. Like, so we're all in it together, guys. It's a family enterprise. <laughs> you do the second part. <laughs> and so you don't ever, so if, if anyone on earth said to my kids, your mom is so important, my children would puke like <laughs> onto them. <laughs> <laughs> violently vomit (laughs) fair i mean it's all it's all fair enough you know i um i guess there's a degree to which i you know i want to feel that my work is i want to maintain obviously humility about it but i also want to feel that it's making a a contribution in in some sense but i think a contribution is doing the i think it is a contribution you are making a contribution like your contribution cannot be measured in like votes cast or anything Mm -hmm. like that yeah but that's all kind of that's all super elusive like everyone runs around going like oh he's you know instagram like you know when (laughs) when twitter was like at its super height everyone was like twitter so it's just everything and it and, and if you had two million twitter followers and you told them to watch your short film probably eight people would do it. Like, Oh my it's God. It's very abysmal, abysmal. Like the, yeah. the rate of return on anything like that Minuscule. is nearly impossible. So, you know, it's really hard to measure what your contribution is. And even if your contribution sometimes is just like a person thought differently about a thing twice over the course of an episode, that is like, that's a real, that's a real contribution. Like, I think that's yeah. real. It It reverberates in ways that, you can never know. And so you should feel like you are making a, t- a contribution because you are, it's just impossible to, to measure that. Yeah. And it's like, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you. It's very validating. Um, no problem. But yeah, you need to like, not, not be too focused on what the, what the grand design of it is. Like the, the, the great change that it's making. It's really focused on like the individual Reactions from people, I suppose. I agree with you. I understand what you what you mean. I think getting people interested in different subject matter is yeah. is so valuable. Like, you know, I, it seems to me like you and I have a similar kind of, you know, probably the things we liked are very similar growing mm-hmm. up. Um, I'm older than you, but, um, you know, like I, I loved 60 Minutes and there are 60 Minutes stories that I can still remember from when I was a kid. And I don't even know why those stories connected with me in that way, but they're things that I've never forgotten that I've brought into my adult life. And like, it really, stories are impactful and knowledge is powerful and all of that is is great. And if you get someone interested in something because you um, painted a picture of it in a way that is entertaining, uh, if you if you ignite an interest or a passion in that person because of that moment, that's fucking awesome that's great that's fucking great it's a lot better than like a sitcom i don't (laughs) i don't know i think it is (laughs) right this is what i'm saying the people who make ted lasso are wasting their lives what a fun wasting their lives it's a fun little diversion but we're here doing the real work and that's where i wanted to make sure we that's let's make sure that everybody knows that we truly believe that about ourselves (laughs) 
I loved, the, I did love Ted Lasso. I, I did like it, but I have one very specific comedy complaint about it. What can is I share, it? Can yeah, I share it with you? Please. And I really did enjoy the show. I okay. enjoyed it quite a lot. Okay. But I think this is maybe a trend in comedy writing. In a normal sitcom, mm-hmm. when a character tells a joke, yep. no one else in the show acknowledges that a joke was told. Right. Right. They Mm -hmm. just the the audience laughs or there's a little beat for us to laugh at home and then everybody moves on. Nobody acknowledges that Tracy Jordan said something weird. Right. They just the scene goes on in Ted Lasso. Every time someone tells a joke, Uh the other characters go, ah, that's funny. That was a funny joke. Hey, you're pretty funny. <laughs> or they say, or or they'll tell a joke and they'll go, oh, that didn't really land, did it? Ah, kind of a dad joke. And they'll move on. And to me, that is as though we were all watching a sci-fi movie and the characters were standing around going, wow, great special effects. No, 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 no. The jokes are for us at home, not for the other people in the fictional world. That's so funny. You know, okay, I have not noticed that, but I'm going to look for that now. And here's another thing that they, that is similar. There are certain actresses that are just beautiful, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they're just so known for being beautiful (laughs) that everyone in every project they're ever in has to have a moment where they go, you're just so beautiful. (laughs) You're just so beautiful. And I'm like, does Vera Farmiga have it in her contract that in every project, someone has to go, God, look at you. God, you're a beautiful woman. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? No one says that. Do they? I guess maybe they do if you're that lady. Um, I don't watch comedy much at all. So yeah, Ted Lasso I have a disease a, too. I, it was kind of a departure. What do you watch? What are you watching? What have you watched lately? I can uh, tell you what I watched and holy shit balls. My partner, Lisa, and I have been watching from the beginning, The Good Wife. Incredible show. Have you seen The Good Wife? I have never seen a single episode. It's an incredible uh, lawyer procedural drama. Mm -hmm. Started in 2009. Yeah. It literally starts the first year of the Obama administration. And let me tell you, this is the most 2009 show ever made. They are constantly Mm. just referring to things that happened. They're like, ah, I just got an email on my BlackBerry. It's the Obama administration. They just came into power. Oh, Twitter, that exists now. Someone wrote something on their blog. Like, it's just... Oh, my God, that's it's, great. It's, that's it's, it's as though it couldn't be better if it were a show made now, about wow. if it were like The Wedding Singer for 2009. That's, that's what amazing. watching the show is like. And, and it's also just a really good... It's a really good lawyer show. Uh, recommend. Okay. All right. Recommend. That's good. That's good knowledge. Comfort. I'll, I'll, Comfort hold that in, I'll hold that in my heart. What have you been watching? I just finished three seasons of Gamora. Gamora. I don't know Gamora. Wow. 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 Boy, oh boy. Highest possible five stars. It's an Italian crime show set in Naples. And it is not, it is uh, just horrifically frightening and uh, and dark and so violent. <laughs> and like... Everyone's speaking Italian and it's everyone's getting killed in ways Sounds like, like a rough surprising. watch. It's a rough, rough watch. And I have an appetite for rough watches. I Got love it. things that are like, wow. Like I love to walk away from something going like, I'm shaken. And this was one of those things. Like I know they did. There's a, a fourth season has aired in Italy, but it's not going to be here for a few more months anyway 
And I was like, I'm grateful. I can't take another second of it. Like that was, that was a ride. (laughs) I need a break. I got to get off the Gamora roller coaster. Not even a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster to hell. And I just needed to get off, but I'll be back for sure. It's so, (laughs) my tastes are so dark. Where, Where do you see this? I watched it on HBO Max. You can get it on Amazon. It's, uh, oh boy. I'll check it out. Boy, oh boy. It's very good. I loved it. I'm trying to come up with a a bring us in for a landing. Okay. Oh, okay. Samantha B, you've accomplished so much in your life. This is, I'm Mm. I'm switching to like a Dick Cavett style of interview. This is good. This is like the Howard Stern, (laughs) the end of Howard Stern. He's like, you've said it all. You've said it all. (laughs) Do you listen to Howard Stern? Are you a Howard Stern? I, I, I don't. I'm not. I, I, I really should. should. I was on. Okay. I had one experience once mm-hmm. where I know I should, but but by the time I, it was time for me to listen, he moved to Sirius XM and I don't have Sirius XM. Oh, um, okay. Okay. I All should right. listen. But I once did. Mm-hmm. I was on. Not, I wasn't on Howard Stern. I was on the after show for Howard Stern. Oh, okay. Where okay. The other hosts sit mm-hmm. around and they talk about, and it was a very surreal experience for me because they were like, Adam, on the show today, Howard said that he doesn't yes. like it when people bring smelly food to the office. What do you think? <laughs> and I was like, why are we sitting around talking about this guy who's not here? This seems pathological to me. Like, we're all very concerned oh with Howard's opinion. We're all talking about Howard. He's not in the room, guys. What you a have funny, your own opinions about what, a, what the food tastes like. What a funny what show to go like. on. What a yeah. funny show to go on if you are not well-versed in like who those people are in the room with you. And anyway, okay, that's great. Well, he's a great interviewer, so I don't know. Why oh, I know. I know he is. I don't know I, why I, why did I go there? Oh, you've said it all. Because he always ends every mm-hmm. good interview with, well, you've said it all. You've said it all. <laughs> and you're like, well, we're about to end. <laughs> and everyone goes, oh, no. What did I, oh, what did I say? What did I say? Oh, shit. Oh, I forget. <laughs> um, okay. I was going to, I was going to ask, what are your, uh. What are your goals for the future with with what you do or for your for your own life? Like, hmm. how are you looking to looking to grow what you do? Um, some I think really good goals for the show this year. I'd like to kind of expand the visual world now that we're in uh, a smaller and different studio and we don't have an audience. I think it's it'll be an interesting because I know how we did the show last year. I, you know, just getting a show made was an incredible accomplishment mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. And so now that we're in a space where we feel comfortable, I don't want to feel too comfortable. So I'm trying to put an eye to like, all right, how can we kind of like elevate this situation or how can we grow this mm-hmm. situation now that we don't have an audience and probably won't again, maybe ever. Um, I'd like to travel. I'd really like to travel. I have a production company. I'm making mm-hmm. other shows, pitching yeah. other stuff. That's really fun. I really enjoy that. I don't enjoy the actual pitch process, but I do enjoy, I enjoy everything except the part where you're trying to sell the show. <laughs> I enjoy the development of new shows. I think that's really fun. And um, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. I know there's something really huge that I'm forgetting. But I like the work that I do. I really, really do. I really do love it. So yeah. I don't have too many places to go. I want to keep. It's been nice to not have Donald Trump as the president because we, <laughs> it, it's a bit more. Now that we've all acclimatized to the new elevation. It's, yeah. Um, 
it's 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 actually nice to be able to think about the show in a different way where we're not just yeah. like just grinding and and like scrabbling up a gravel you know to get to to just be covered in gravel at the end now yeah to, to well especially to like, for the show that you do to not have this one blaring red hot thing yeah. that is demanding demanding uh, attention at, at all moments yeah uh, and you can actually maybe have, nice. a, have a thought yeah very nice very nice <laughs> to be able to collect your thoughts for sure yeah yeah uh that's a great answer i mean i'm like also looking to like I don't know, grow, grow what I do and be able to like do it in a deeper way somehow mm-hmm. to, to like, I always feel like there's more, there's more under there that I somehow haven't sure. gotten to. And there's like a richer way to a richer way to do it. Like I tend to look at what I was doing and go like last year and go, ah, oh, that's a little glib. Like what's the more, mm-hmm. what is, what is the uh, more thoughtful version of the thing that I was just trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have hobbies outside of your, would you like garden or anything I like that? I started bird watching this year. <gasps> it's that's the best. so fun. It's the best. That's great. It is the best. I ba- I've been baking too, but bird watching is the Bird watching is fun. I love, uh, I used to hate birds. I used to be, not hate birds, <laughs> but like, just be like fucking birds. And I now, do feel that way. Yeah. Now I too, we got a bird feeder for the first time in mm. our lives and we are two like TV maker people and yeah. I think we're, you know, and, and, and we put this fucking bird feeder on our window and we're like, there's that cardinal. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know who Jason and I have become, but we're definitely like, I just downloaded the Audubon app so I can look at the birds and, and go like, is that a grackle or is that a crow? That's Tell great. me the difference. A turkey walked That's by great. my window because well, I'm at our house and a turkey walked past. There's all kinds of turkeys up here. That's awesome. Yeah, it's neat. I I do the kind where I go out with binoculars and I make I make a list and I submit it to the (gasps) website eBird. Oh god! And then it's contributed to this big database of where everyone saw birds that like ornithologists can use to track bird movements, or you can just like look at your own little list. So you're gonna do the big what do they call it? The very big year? The big year? The big year is what it's called. I've I've never done a big year. Okay. I've only been doing it for a year. So. I, went, I think a big year is where the bird watchers say, I want to see as many birds as I can see yeah. in one year. And then they fly around and burn a lot of fossil fuels, thus yeah. killing a lot of killing birds a lot in their of quest birds. to see some birds. I uh, I went straight from, I've started observing birds to like, well, are you going to travel around the world and kill all the songbirds with the exhaust <laughs> from your jet? For real. <laughs> For real. There's a lot less birds than there used to be. I don't want to get into that. I've no, talked about there that on the are show before. a lot less birds and it's really <laughs> scary. And that's why I keep my cats inside. Wow. You've all you've <laughs> learned you. is that I'm the biggest fucking nerd. <laughs> like she's got <laughs> cats too. What a, what a sexy picture. Wow. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> no, but not only that, you are the kind of cat owner who says those need to be kept inside. They're when gonna, I see outdoor cats, I get so, I get very mad. I uh, no, no, no. They belong. They belong inside staring yeah. at the birds and jumping on those screens. <laughs> yes. Um, on the, I mean, why not have that be our last note? I, it's fine. I, 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 I like talk it. To you for, <laughs> I, I like talk it. to you for hours, but this has been wonderful. It's been so nice to really dig in. It's been for great. real. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for indulging me in my most, uh, most negative trait as a comedian, which is navel gazing about comedy. So great. I appreciate you great. joining me for that 
somewhat masturbatory exercise. Right. I loved it. It was really fun. Okay. Uh, plug plug for us the name of the podcast one more time. It comes out on May 4th and it's called? Full Release with Samantha B. And your downloads are Tuesdays. Yeah, Tuesdays. Please check it out. Thank you so much, Sam B, for being here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you once again to Sam B for coming on the show. Please check out her podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you subscribe. I know I say it all the time. It really does help us out. If you want to pick up any of the incredible books that our guests have written, you can check those out at factuallypod.com slash books. That's factuallypod.com slash books. And when you do, you'll be supporting this show and your local bookstore. I want to thank our producers, Chelsea Jacobson and Sam Roudman. Andrew Carson for editing the show. The fine folks at Falcon Northwest for building me the incredible custom gaming PC that I'm recording this very episode on. You can find me at adamconover.net or at adamconover wherever you get your social media. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week on Factually for episode 101. That was a HeadGum Podcast.